Hello, and welcome back to Talking. I'm one of your hosts here, Dana Osband, here with my friend, Ann Gordon. Our DAP today, Masechet Yavamot, DAP Kuftet, page 104. So our Gemara's two new missions today. And again, what these missions are doing is going through all the details of Chalitza itself, right? Before we saw previously, how does the shoe have to be on? What happens if you don't have an ankle? Um, and get into sort of more variations of these questions. So Anna, like a Mishnah, um, and my Mishnah says, Chalitza at night, Chalitza takshera, her Chalitza is valid. But Rabbi Eleazar opposed out, it's not good. Chalitza tapsula, sorry, be small, right? What if they do the Chalitza on the left foot, right? And not the right foot. We know the shoe is supposed to be on the right foot. Chalitza tapsula, her Chalitza is considered pasul, but Rabbi Eleazar makshera. But Rabbi Eleazar says, no, Sure. So, so the question is, what are the Chacham and Rabbi Elazar, what are they disagreeing about here? Um, so again, as we talked about in yesterday's uh, Gemara, where we saw like an intersection of four different right? So what here they're talking about is, again, what categories do we connect with each other? So one mar, and this is Rabbi that we compare the halachot of uh, monetary disputes, right? Which is chalitza is. That's a category chalitza. Because chalitza has money, you know, it involves money because you have to contract, you have to pay the ketubah to the avama. Can we compare it with the halachot of leprosy, right? Which is leprosy cases are only judged during the day. That's a halacha that's in Vayikra. So the question is, are monetary cases also only, t- also can they only take place during the day? And um, and, and one sage, meaning the Tanakama in the, here, right? But we don't compare monetary uh, disputes with leprosy. And so then the Gemara is going to go on to explain, you know, so that of the question. What the basis of that question really is, is, is that monetary right, are, you know, uh, are, are, you know, basically it's a flaw than things that have to do with leprosy, which are like Tuma and Tara, right? Things like that. Like, you know, it's whether or not are you allowed to categorize, are you allowed to compare these types of halakhic categories? And it's a good question because I can make an argument why you can, right? Maybe all of halakha should be consistent. I can make an art, you know, an argument why you can't because like issues of Tuma and Tara, like of Saraz are just fundamentally different from monetary. Why should so then the members not say, whoa, no, that's not what the machlok is about. Everybody holds to Kule Ama Loma We don't compare monetary issues to uh to um leprosy. Because even if we did, right, we know that court cases can never be done at night. Right, and one of the opinions here says you can do chalitza at night, so it doesn't make sense that that's really what the issue is. What are you actually arguing about? So this is very interesting. What it is 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 that when chalitza is performed, one mar, and this is Rabbi Elazar's opinion, holds that chalitza is like the beginning of the judgment of a monetary case. Um, and one holds, and this would be the Tanakama, that Chalitza is like the, the verdict. It's actually, it's the end 
of the monetary judgment. And therefore, it, it can be conducted at night. You wouldn't start something at night, but it can be conducted. Um, uh, it can be conducted um, at night. Um, and then they go on to show an example here of Rebbe Barchia Kitsutapa, right? He was from Kitsutapa, Abad Uvda Bimuk, Ubi Laila, right? And so that he did Chalitza using a slipper that was not made from leather and he did it in private. So he was basically like the only, uh, and he did it at night. So he was the only uh, judge, he was the only person. And what does Shmuel say? Amar Shmuel, Kama Rav Day. And he says, how great is the power of this person who does an individual opinion, that he basically relied on all these individual opinions to do the halakha. So another great example where we see an example of Chalitza being unpacked. I- I'm not going to read, you can read the rest of the Gemara, like what was actually bothering Shmuel. But the idea is, is that he didn't like that basically this guy took sort of like all the individual opinions about Chalitza and like combined it into one. He was the only judge. He didn't use the right shoe. He did it at night. And Shmuel's basically saying, we don't rely on all of the minority opinions. And I think similar to what we've seen before, uh, part of what, uh, you know, Shmuel, I think why he would be so disdainful of this is, is that we said Chalitza is basically a divorce and we can't have the people, um, you know, sort of would question a uh, a chalitza. So I think a very, very, um, you know, interesting Mishnah that again is trying to sort of see where else can we compare uh, other halachic categories and what can we learn from that? And also an interesting example of chalitza, which is specifically one that we're not supposed to learn from, right? Where Shmuel basically says, this is the way chalitza actually should not be done. This is the way Chalitza should not be done, which I find to be, you know, again, a little bit of a, an entertaining departure from this is the way it's supposed to be done. Um, in this case, we have also, I'm going, I'm now moving to the, to the next Mishnah. We have, again, the question of what happens if it's not really done the way it's supposed to be done. So, and your Dana, we're going to talk here for just for a moment. We're going to pause and acknowledge that. This Mishnah is not in the order that we would think that it should be in because it makes reference to all kinds of things that have not been stipulated or specified in the Mishnah yet, namely the process, the procedure by which Chalitza takes place, meaning we've begun some of those details, right? We understand that there has to be a court and we understand that there's a particular shoe and we've had a lot of details about that shoe and the foot and, and how it's going to work. But suddenly we're, we're dealing with a case of where the woman indeed removed the shoe and spat she did her spitting, meaning the way she was supposed to. And I have to say, like, if I had known nothing about Chalitza to this point, I would say, she spat? Meaning, what's happening here? And the discussion here is it doesn't it doesn't present it as in a methodological kind of way or a methodical kind of way. She did her removal of the shoe. She did the spitting. She didn't read the section from... The, I think it's from the Chumash, actually, the part that is read to say, like, now I'm doing Chalitza. Um, and the, the Mishnah here says, if she did those other parts, but she didn't do the reading, she's the Chalitza is kosher. If she did the reading and she did the spinning, but she didn't remove the shoe, then it's not Chalitza. Then the, the, it's just an invalid process. So she did, you know, we've got these three different component parts and which two of the three make it 
you know, leave it okay and which does not. So in this case, she removed the shoe. She did the reading of the passage, but she did not spit. So, so let's just streamline this, right, to get it clear in our heads. If she removed the shoe and she spat, but she did not read the, the text that goes along with it, it counts. It's a good chalitza. If she didn't do the shoe part, not a good chalitza. If she did the shoe part and the reading, but not the spitting, how essential is the spitting? Rebbe Lezer says, no, you need that spitting for it to count. And Rebbe Kiva says, no, it's it's valid. Amar le Rebbe Lezer. So Rebbe Lezer says to Rebbe Kiva, the verse, the verse describing the chalitza process to the extent that it's there in the biblical text is from Devarim 25, Deuteronomy 25. It says, so shall be done to the person who doesn't do yibum, right? This is what she's supposed to do the, to, the, to the yavam who's not going to be a yavam. Every act, any action that's part of this process that isn't part of the process, if it doesn't happen, then it's going to be get in the way of the chalitza counting. So reading might not be considered, I mean, it's not, it's clearly not considered an act, but the spitting is an act and the removal of the shoe is an act. And so if you don't, if you don't do the act, any portion of this act of the chalitza, then it's not going to count. Amar le, Rabbi Kiva. So Rabbi Kiva says back to him, Misham, Raya, meaning you're bringing me a proof from this biblical text where it also says, uh, and we have other verses where it says, so shall be done to the person, to the man, meaning that to, su- to suggest that it means any action to the man. Um, so the implication is that it has to be anything that's done to the man, meaning the removal of the shoe, that's necessary. But spitting, which is not in his face, right? The, sp- the discussion of the spitting has not happened yet as far as the mission is concerned, right? So the, the spitting has to take place into the shoe. And so the question is, is that essential in the same way that removing the shoe from the ish, right? From that man that there's an action taken upon him. Um, Rabbi Kiva says, it's not an action taken upon him. So you, you don't have a good proof, Rabbi Lezer, from your verse that says it, it needs an action. Fine. The mission goes on. And again, it feels like a different mission at this point. So now this becomes problematic. And there are modern day cases where this has become problematic as well. If you have somebody who is deaf mute, right? We need to recognize that again. We've talked about this many times that today is not always a deaf mute by the halacha category, or even maybe rarely. But if you end up with a deaf mute man who's doing chalitza, or a deaf, or who's having it done to him, whatever, or a deaf mute woman who's doing chalitza, or if you have, and then it goes on. So in those cases, the chalitza is invalid. Likewise, uh, an, um, an adult woman with a katan, with a minor, we talked about this in the context of yibum, the chalitza does not count, it's pasul. It's invalid. What about uh, if it's a, the minor here is the woman, the girl? If it's, so they say she should do the chalitza once she's of age. And if she doesn't do it once she's of age, then it's pasul. Meaning if she did it as a minor, she should do it again as once she hits the age of majority. And if she did it as a minor and does not repeat it, uh, as a as an adult, then an adult here meaning the age, the halachic age of majority, um, then the first chalitza didn't count either. 
חלצה בשניים או בשלושה ונמצא אחד מהם קרוב או פסול. Now we're going to talk about different issues that might have come up with the Beit Din itself or the court. If, you, if the חליצה process was done before two or only three judges and but meaning before two judges instead of three or three and then one of them turns out to be a relative or disqualified for some other reason, חליצה תפסולה. Meaning you need to have the whole point of having it before a court is that the court has to be a legitimate court. But, and this goes back, I think, to your, Dana, to your point about Eliyahu the other day, Reb Shimon and Reb Yochanan Hasanlar say, even if the court had something, you know, not quite right with it, the chalitza itself is still going to be valid. Why? And the story is told, and this says, You don't really need that court. It's the way we do chalitza. But if you did chalitza without a court, your chalitza still could be valid, at least according to Rebbe Kiva. Namely, there is a man and a woman who they have chalitza in a prison, meaning there's nobody else there. And, the, and then the question was, is that valid or not valid? And Rebbe Kiva said it was valid. So this mission, I think, gives us a whole lot of discussion over, as you said, you know, the kinds of ways that not to do chalitza, except for that some of the ways not to do chalitza will still leave you with a valid chalitza. Look, I, I, I think it's interesting to see, like what this basically is about is what's the core element you need for chalitza, right? Like more so than some of the other discussions, like I understand the discussions around what if you don't have a foot, where does the shoe have to be placed? What does the shoe have to be, you know, you know, made up, but this mission is getting to like, and the Gemara afterwards, like what's the core piece of the ceremony itself? Like what's the essential piece? What do you need to have to say this was actually Chalitza? Is it the psukim? Is it the spitting? Like what is it that Chalitza has to be? How do we define Chalitza? Yeah, I think that's exactly right. I just, as I've indicated, I feel like, couldn't we have this laid out in a more In, in a way that we would expect it to be in a how-to kind of fashion. But I think the answer to that is clearly not. Oh, we, come on. We've been in DAP Yomi long enough. We know that that's not how it works. Well, that's our DAP discussion for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Reverend Michelle Barber for hosting us on the Hunter website. Let us know what you thought about this DAP on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.